Let's go to the book of First Peter. Sometimes I preach a message specifically uh, on Mother's Day for mothers. And uh, today I, th- I prayed and asked the Lord, what do you have me to do? And just felt inclined to stay in First Peter. But we'll make some specific applications to mothers this morning from the text. <clears throat> As we're looking at verse 13 this morning, if you know what that's about, uh, girding up the loins of your mind, I think mothers certainly have a lot on their mind. And so I trust there will be plenty in the message this morning for mothers as well as everyone who is here today and uh, that God will help us as we're looking to, to get together at His Word. Abounding in hope has been our theme for the year and First Peter teaches us about a lively hope, a hope that is alive through Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. We've been looking at this together. First Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise God, hope is alive regardless of what you're seeing in the news this week, regardless of the turmoil overseas, regardless of the craziness here in our own country. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And there is no fear that we have to have as Christians. We do fear. Yes, we fall prey to fear all the time, unfortunately, but we don't have to. Fear is not to be what defines us or what drives us. Uh, We are able by faith to rise above fear as we put our focus on the facts of His Word. If you haven't been with us, we'll review very, very quickly. Peter is writing to these Gentile believers who are uh, scattered abroad, and he is trying to encourage them by scooping them into uh, his, his fellowship, saying, you're one of us now. You're like us persecuted Jews. And you've, you are not used to feeling like a stranger in your own country. We Jews are. But he says, you are strangers and elect. And he tells them about their twofold identity. You're strangers horizontally, but you are elect, chosen, called of God vertically. Uh, hang on to your identity and it will help you to have the right perspective. As you know your identity, you have a new perspective on life. I'm a sojourner here. I'm a citizen of heaven, chosen by God to, to, to fulfill a purpose. And that gives us a new priority on praise. And the passage continues talking about all the different things to praise God for, praising Him for salvation, praising Him for a secure inheritance and safekeeping, praising Him through trials because there's a new purpose in trials. And we're able to rejoice in suffering and recognize the purification process that is going on is a, is a privilege to be a part of. And we also praise because we have a new privilege in redemptive history. In verses 10 through 12, we looked at that. How even the prophets and the angels are looking on to where we sit today with some, some jealousy or some envy, you might say. Uh, the prophets only saw at a distance what we are experiencing firsthand. We have a new privilege together. And so, in other words, the, 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 the apostle Peter is helping us to see that hope is alive. There is so much in our lives to praise Him for. You can either focus on what you've lost, or you can focus on your trials, or you can focus on what God has given you and what He is doing in your life. And now we come to verse 13, and He has a message for our mind. 
a message specifically for our minds. You know, so much is won and lost right here. Our minds are a battleground. I'm reading a book about that very thing. I'm reading a couple of books actually right now about uh, winning the war in your mind. And uh, it's amazing to me just how that war wages. And sometimes it, it never stops. The war wages as soon as you wake up. It goes all day long. It goes into the evening. When you're supposed to be winding down, sometimes you're just revving up. You go to bed and you're trying to drift off to sleep and the war is still waging in your mind. And then sometimes we fitfully sleep because our subconscious is still thinking about it and you're dreaming about it and so forth. And the devil just has a heyday in our minds. And Peter recognized if these people are going to take hope, take heart, and, and really break through, they had to win the battle in their mind. First Peter 1.13 Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's an interesting phrase, gird up the loins of your mind. We're going to talk about what that means. But I like the fact that the King James translators translated the Greek exactly word for word what was there. It was, that's what it says, gird up the loins of your mind. So uh, we have to figure out what that means. Uh, and it's not hard to figure that out. God will help us with that this morning. But in order to be able to set our hope fully on him, something has to happen right here in our brains. The Bible tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so for many of us, if we are double-minded in our heart, in our, in our mind, we are double-minded in our actions. If we are doubtful and fearful in our mind, we are very uh, tentative and lacking confidence in our actions. And so much of what we do is a direct result of whether or not we are winning this battle in our mind. Lord, help us as we look at your word now. Help me as I preach and as we make application. Lord, would you break through, I pray. Help the mothers here who have so much going on their plate every day. Lord, I don't know how some of the moms do it, but thank you for them. Help them, Lord, to be able to gird up the loins of their mind, to be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever seen someone gird up the loins? Okay, well, when we talk about the loins, what are we referring to? We're referring to generally the lap area, okay? They say loins, we would say lap, that general area, all right? And uh, uh, this is something that was a common practice in Jesus' day, and it is still a thing in Middle Eastern countries or wherever they wear long robes. Um, I, I, I heard of a missionary who was out uh, preaching the gospel or giving out gospel tracts or whatever, and some of the locals got upset and decided to chase this missionary. And the missionary got a head start on this chase because the locals had to reach down, gather their robes, and 
wrap them around and gird up their loins before they could run. So hey, uh, he got out of there because he had a head start. We don't really see that around here. People don't generally gird up their loins. Well, sometimes they do, I suppose, but uh, I'll get back to that. Let's look at a picture. A picture is worth a thousand words, right? So I actually found this on the internet. It's amazing what you can find on the internet. How to gird up your loins. Some guy put this on. So there it is, step-by-step instructions. Now, uh, the guy on the left, you know, he's got this long tunic and maybe not so uh, easy to get into battle. And so you just hoist that thing up, grab two handsfuls, then he brings it through the legs, back around. Can you see that there? It's a little small. And then he ties it off in front. And then look, at, look out. Look at the guy there with his sword. I wouldn't be messing with him. He has gird up, girded up his loins. He has prepared himself for battle. So when we think of this phrase, gird up the loins of your mind, what God is telling us is this, prepare yourself for action. Prepare your mind for battle. It may be uh, that you need to do some work in the field, and they would gird up their loins to do work in the field. Or if they needed to fight, they would gird up their loins to go fight. But they could not do the work or the toil or the warfare or whatever the action was. They couldn't do it very well with all this extra material flowing around. You know what? We've got a lot of loose ends in our brains to tie up. We've got a lot of loose things flapping around in the breeze that gets caught on this and caught on that. And we can't stay focused. We're helter-skelter, hither and yon. And, and there's just so much distraction in our lives. And, and we are so, our attention spans are even shorter than they used to be. We're just here and there, chasing this, chasing that. And God says, look, you need to be able, if you're going to get into the action of what I have for you, you need to tie up these loose ends and focus in. So again, this is common in Middle Eastern countries. You don't see this much over here. I, I, I would have to say, I, I think I did see this growing up a little bit. Uh, when I was a kid, all of the guys, you know, on the basketball court, we all wanted to think we were cool. And so we would, we would wear pants two and three sizes too big. Now, not if my mom saw, then I got the belt and she'd cinch it up. But, you know, if you're at the court and you're trying to be cool, your pants are two, three sizes, maybe five sizes too big. I never was able to go too crazy. Some of those guys were like 10 sizes too big. And we'd be playing basketball. And you can't really play ball with these pants that are about to fall. And so before we would play, people would have to gird up their loins. Guys would bring belts just for that one purpose. You know, put the belt on before you play. And, and then a couple of my friends, they had incredible moves to the basket with one hand holding their loins and one hand with the ball. They could go through the legs, through everybody, lay it up, catch the ball and their pants before they hit the ground. I mean, so... I, I did grow up with this a little bit. It's just a little different than the Middle Eastern. The bottom line is this. If you've got action to do, you can't be overly encumbered. You don't want to be tripping when you're supposed to be engaged, right? So what I want to do is just walk through this passage. Let's get 1 Peter 1.13 
back on the screen. Let's just look at some key words and look at some grammar here. I'm no English major, but we'll look at some basics. First of all, consider that first word, wherefore. That's very important because that word means that he is now taking into account everything that's been said before, and this is kind of a, 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 a turning to application and a driving it home. So the word wherefore is important. He's saying, according to everything I've just said, your new identity, your new perspective, your new uh, 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 purpose in trials and praising God and all of these things, because of everything you have, your new privilege in, in this whole timeline. The prophets would have loved to trade places with you because of how God has put you poised for a purpose as a chosen sojourner. Wherefore, it's time to do something with that. Gird up your loins. And we'll come to that. So this word wherefore is signifying action steps are about to happen. Uh, application of truth is about to be set forth. Everything that he has just told us in verses 1 through 12 should come to rest in our lives. And this is telling us it's about to happen right now. Wherefore, let's apply truth. As you look at this passage, grammatically, you can, you can, you can see uh, it seems like there's three commands from three verbs. And, and you would look at it and say, okay, there's three things going on here. First, I need to gird up the loins of my mind. Then I need to be sober. Then I need to hope to the end for grace, whatever that is, and we'll come back to that. But it's not actually three equal commands. In the Greek, this is much more easy to see because of their verb endings and so forth. Uh, but these, these first two phrases really are, are to be subsets or, or undergirding that phrase dealing with setting our hope, all right? The main thought, the main verb, the main kernel of this verse, the whole main thought is hope to the end for the grace of God. And these helpful phrases undergirding that, adverbial phrases, if you will, would be uh, this, th th this matter of girding up the loins of your mind and being sober. You could say it this way. You could say it um, uh, literally, okay, girding up the loins of your mind and by being sober, set your hope in God. So these are uh, participles of means. In other words, it's telling us what, uh, uh, how we do this. Set your hope in God by means of these two things girding up the loins of your mind, and being sober. Now let's talk about that phrase, to set your hope in God. All right, uh, well, I said set your hope. It says hope to the end for the grace that is uh, brought to you. You could easily look at this and say, wow, that's not that encouraging of a verse because after all of this, 12 verses of everything we have to praise God for, everything going on uh, that, that, that is supposed to help our perspective, all we get is wherefore, hope for the best. That's not what he's saying. That's not the use of hope. All right, and, and uh, we, we've talked about this before as we have defined the word hope. And hope has the idea biblically uh, as this, joyful, confident expectation. Hopefully that rings a bell. We've gone over that several times in this series. 
But hope is not just a hope so hope across your fingers and, uh, you know, have your lucky rabbit's foot and hope for the best. That is not Bible hope. Bible hope is a joyful, confident expectation for the believer. And so when he says, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you, he is saying, have a joyful, confident expectation of the grace of God for you in your lives. And again, I'm not a grammar geek, but the way this is, if you looked at the the Greek, it is the idea of not just hoping, but setting your hope, placing your hope, putting your hope upon something. Literally, to set your hope upon God's grace. So he's saying, wherefore, according to everything we've just said, therefore, put... Your hope, your only hope upon God's grace to see you through these trials and this suffering and these temptations. He needs to be your answer. You know, it's interesting to me. uh, Many of us, myself included, we don't run to the Lord first. We Google, we call a friend. We just send a quick text to dad because dad knows everything or a quick text to grandpa or a quick text to so-and-so. We have all these go-to things that we do and we set our hopes on people oftentimes more quickly than we do on God and his grace. I'm not saying don't phone a friend. I'm not saying you can't ask counsel. You need to ask counsel many times. God is in that. But where are we ultimately setting, setting our hope? It needs to be on God and only, ultimately, on God. That little phrase, to the end. What does that mean? Hope to the end for the grace that is brought to be brought to you under the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This has the idea of this. Start setting your hope on His grace. Continue putting your hope on His grace. And never quit putting your hope on His grace until Jesus comes. Basically, he's saying this. Hope till Jesus comes. Put your hope on His grace until He comes. That is the answer for today. It is the answer for tomorrow. It's the answer for 50 years from now if Jesus tarries. We need Him, and we've got to learn to be God-dependent people, people who look up instinctively first thing when we're in, in a difficult situation. Hope to the end. So the idea would be hope completely, hope fully, without quitting prematurely. Set your hope completely in Him, in His grace, unto the end. So the main thought, again, of verse 13, moms, set your hope fully, completely in the grace of God. I know you've got a lot on your mind. You've got a lot on your plate. You've got uh, days where you're overwhelmed. Some of you are homeschooling and you're doing everything else and you're essentially working several full-time jobs all at once, wearing all kinds of hats with all sorts of expectations, not to mention the expectations you put on yourself. 
You say, how in the world am I going to do it? Well, the, the way you're going to do it is to, to not look to yourself, to not look to your strength, but to set your hope fully and completely on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, depending upon him, rolling your cares upon him, not taking more on you than it was ever placed upon you by him, and casting your cares on him, absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus. Set your hope fully upon his grace. Now, as we see that main thought, though there are two thoughts that came before that that really are uh, subservient, if you will, to the main thought. And these phrases, girding up the loins of your mind and being sober, help us to know how we can succeed in keeping our hope alive in Him. So let's look at this for a moment. Girding up the loins of your mind literally means prepare your mind for the work, for the action, for the warfare. Tie up anything loose that would snag. Get rid of excess drag that hinders mobility and effectiveness. And also, being sober-minded adds to that. To be sober means to be calm and collected in spirit. It means to have your faculties about you, your own wits about you. You're not under the influence of something else. The Bible says, Be not drunk with wine, but be, which where is, is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He's talking about two influences there. Don't be under the influence of the wine, be under the influence of the Spirit. And this idea is present here. Uh, he's saying, be sober-minded. I want you to be alert in your mind. I want you to be watchful, circumspect, vigilant, temper uh, temperate. Because you are, without that, you're not going to keep your focus where it needs to be, setting your hope upon God to the end. Now the question comes up, how can I do this? How can I keep my hope in God during trying times? Well, again, uh, it is by means of preparing your mind for battle, by means, by, uh, by means of being sober, circumspect, and vigilant in mind, not under other intoxicating influences such as fear and doubt and so forth. And we do this how long? Until Jesus comes. I want to paraphrase this for a moment. Sometimes it's good to paraphrase as we're reading the scriptures. Just sit back, take your journal out, and say, okay, that verse, that spoke to me, but I want to put that in my own words. Just write down your own paraphrase of that verse and chew on it a little bit. So let's paraphrase verse, verse 13. Here's what I put. On account of everything we have to praise God for that we have just discussed, by means of preparing our minds for action and by being vigilantly sober-minded, set your hope completely on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. This is a command, first of all. It's a command. Set your hope completely on the grace of God until he comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we have a means for obeying that command by means of preparing our mind for action and remaining focused and alert. But again, how do we do this? Well, 2 Corinthians 10.5 helps us with this. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. 
into obedience, casting down. That, that verse almost sounds like warfare. It is. The war for many Christians is right here in our minds. So again, how do we do this? Well, first of all, we need to remove encumbrances. Remove your encumbrances. Remember that definition of girding up the loins? You're going to wrap that cloth through between the legs, back around, tie it off in a knot, and then you are freed up and ready to go to draw that sword and do battle. Well, what are the encumbrances of our mind that need to be gotten rid of and surrendered? Well, we need to first of all surrender what-if thinking to God and surrender if-only thinking to God and surrender obsessive and intrusive thoughts to God. And do not allow these things to become part of who you are. Sometimes we identify with thoughts that the devil puts in our mind and we have, we have no part in that. We start thinking certain thought patterns over and over and over and it, it really gets entrenched in our mind and, and we start to uh, just, just yield to those things and, and identify with those thoughts when they need to be surrendered. Uh, we've talked about this a lot, but you cannot possibly think through all the what-ifs. You cannot possibly go back and correct all of the if-onlys. And some of the weird thoughts the obsessive thoughts, the intrusive thoughts that just keep coming at you. As Satan is trying to get a foothold in your life, they need to just be surrendered. Let that pass through and right on out the other side. Surrender to God. Don't even try to control them. Just surrender them. And I've found it helpful to myself personally to focus on this. When I'm... Uh, uh, shoring up the loose ends in my mind, removing the encumbrances, girding up the loins of my mind, it has helped me to focus on remaining present in this moment. You know what I've realized is in my mind, the mind will get you dwelling on the past or the mind will get you dwelling on the, the future, but the devil likes to keep you anywhere he can but right here present i can find myself so deep in thought my kids all know this sorry kids uh they can say things to me two three ten times and i don't hear a word of it one of my favorite places to go to think is dishes after dinner it's just a great situation you know I, dishes you know to, to me is just easy they just one dish after the next after the next there's no decisions you know, it, it just happens, and you don't even think about it. They just get clean, and you can just think. And so I had a good meal, and I go to do dishes, and I just, the, the wheels just start turning. And my kids will try to talk to me during that time. And I don't even hear my name. It's terrible. Now, Erica is something. She'll, she's two years old. She'll say, Daddy, listen to me. I'm talking to you. And that gets through. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. But when I'm in that mode, I can be so intent on what I'm thinking about, it's like I come out of it for a moment to focus on the question, but I'm feeling a magnetic pull. And I answer the question, and 
I'm right back here and boom, the walls are up. I can't hear a thing. And what does that do? You miss a lot. You miss a lot of life. You miss what God is doing as you are ruminating about what might happen or could happen or could I make this happen or this or that, the other thing. I'm not saying that we should never think about the future. I, I'm saying this. I mean, the Bible says we think about the future. You foresee the evil and hide yourself. There's planning and so forth. We need to be purposeful about it. There ought to be times where we purpose, I'm going to think about tomorrow. I'm going to plan. I'm going to pray for next week. I'm going to talk to my wife. We're going to make plans about this coming month and so forth and so on. But folks, there are times where we live as a slave in our mind to some other period of time than the time that we're in at the moment. We're being robbed. We're being robbed by Satan the thief of our abundant life. You know, where do you get to fellowship with God? In the here and now. In the present. Where do you get to experience joy and happiness or any experience for that matter? In the here and now. How many of you have ever experienced incredible joys in the future? This kid's getting really weird. <laughs> Don't answer that. Talk to me later. Okay. Uh, or even the past. I mean, you, you can dwell on joys from the past, but they don't do that much for the, for, for, for the present. Folks, if we're going to remove encumbrances, we need to surrender these, the future, surrender the, the past, surrender the what-ifs, the if-onlys, surrender, surrender the obsessive thoughts that just, uh, we just can't stop spinning the wheel about and allow ourselves to be mentally engaged in the moment, in the present here and now, where God is walking with us, talking with us, and he wants us to be able to be engaged fully in other people's lives. We need to remove encumbrances. And for some of us, we need more quiet time. Some of us need to silence these phones, put them on the fridge, turn them off when you go home or whatever. We just never unplug. We never stop spinning our wheels about whatever. Remove encumbrances uh, and, and gird up the loins of your mind so that you're prepared for action. You know, I've found uh, I am much more ready for the action God sends me if I'm focused on the present each person if i'm talking to you i need to be present there and i struggle with that and if we're praying together i need to be present there if we're counseling i need to be present there if my wife and i are having a, a conversation i need to be present there and and that is where victories are won that is where friendships are deepened that is where healing happens as we are present and letting our minds be engaged in what god is doing not just ruminating about what he might do or what the devil might do or whatever. Remove encumbrances, but secondly, rethink your influences. We looked at this, this uh, phrase, be sober. First, he says to gird up the loins of your mind. And then second, on the heels of that, he says, be sober. By being sober, we put our hope in God. So we need to rethink what is influencing us. What are we under the influence of? Nurture an active mind as opposed to just a passive mind. 
We just bring everything in. Everything just comes in. We just get this lazy mind. Folks, we are dangerously lazy-minded these days. We sit down and we, we let the TV think for us, maybe for hours on end. If we're not on the TV, we're on our phone, letting it give us thoughts. You know, where do thoughts come from? They come from somewhere. The TV will help you think. The phone will help you think. And for some of us, it's the TV and the phone at the same time. Because the TV doesn't give us enough. And the phone doesn't give us enough. So it's TV and phone. And if we had more hands, we'd have more phones, you know. And we're just bringing all of this in. And, and we learn how to just be lazy mentally. And we don't have attention spans. We don't, we're not able to do hard mental work. And we then capitulate when problems happen and we give up too early and so forth because we have not thought through what am I going to let influence my brain, my mind, and what am I not going to determine who or what is influencing your mind. I was uh, challenged by something I listened to recently where uh, the preacher said, when you have a thought that comes through your mind and you say, wow, that was weird, or it's a startling thought. You ever have those? Am I the only one that has crazy thoughts? Okay. Uh, you have this crazy thought go through your mind or an evil thought, a dark thought. You say, wow, I don't like that thought. He said, you need to ask yourself, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Try to, some of these things you can't trace back, but some of them you can. And sometimes I recognize there are, there are thoughts coming into my mind that I, I could have... I could have been proactive against by cutting off some of these influences or at least controlling them to a degree. But also it's good to think through where that came from because then I'm able to say, was this of God or was this of the devil? If this is of the devil, I reject this, this is gone, and we move right on. I had a thought come into my head this week and it was, it was just a, a, a random thing that triggered this and triggered that and triggered this. And I realized I was thinking down a, a thought stream all week long and it stemmed back to one little thought. And it, it's so distracting and you can get so upset and so worked up about things. Let's, let's be purposeful and declutter our, our minds and focus our minds, bringing them into captivity. Every single thought into captivity, Bible says. And, and to the obedience of Christ. We need to remove encumbrances, rethink our influences, rethink the distractions, and even the amusement. You know, the word muse means to think. Ah means no or not. Amusement means to not think, okay? Uh, we got to be very purposeful about our not thinking times and make sure that we're not... Uh, just trying to uh, get away from having a disciplined mind. Rethink your influences and finally reframe your focus. Reframe your focus. Identify the lies and replace them with truth. I have been doing this in my life. I would encourage you to do it as well. When I get on a certain thought stream and I recognize that this is a lie, this is a straight-up lie from Satan. Maybe you have a fear of something, and before you know it, the fear turns into 
uh, uh, this is going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen. Where did that come from? It's a lie. Satan will give you all sorts of lies about your identity, and then you take those things, and that's not who you are in Christ. Identify the lie and then replace with truth. We need to have some I am statements ready to say. I am in Christ. I am his child. I am forgiven. I am a new creature. I am loved. I am accepted. I am forgiven. I am a recipient of the grace and strength of Almighty God. I am a child of the King. I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I am a victor. I am a conqueror. I am a courageous Christian soldier through Him who loved us. Identify the lies, replace them with truth. Reframe your focus by identifying the doubts and shoring them up with God's promises. Identify passivity and replace it with purpose and meaning. We've got to know why God put us here, what He's called us to do. Identify obsessions and reject them. I know many of us have very, very cluttered minds. I think it's interesting that Peter said everything he said for the first 12 uh, verses. And then when he gets to wherefore, this is the big one, where is he going to go with this? He lands the plane and the battleground of the mind. Because the truth is, as he looked at these Gentile believers, he saw Gentile believers who had everything in Christ, who were poised for victory, who had nothing to fear. But they didn't see that because they had lost the battle here. Too many loose ends. Too many other influences. And they're not able to keep their hope in God continually in His grace. And so he says, hey, by girding up the loins of your mind and by remaining sober, you can set your hope fully in the grace of God. And you can do so until He comes. Folks, the battleground is the mind. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for our mothers. They've got so much on their mind. And let me tell you, folks, uh, you don't have to fight through the warfare of your mind by yourself. In fact, I would say you can't. Thoughts are like butterflies. They're hard to catch and pin down. You know, when you talk to another believer, that's when the victory begins to happen. Sometimes I have to talk to one of you folks. Sometimes I talk to my wife. And I say, hey, let me just talk this through for a minute. Here's what's in my mind. You talk it through and, 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 and you get that all out in the open. The person helps you talk through your thoughts. You can isolate, that's a lie, this is truth. And, you, and what are you doing? You are at that moment with that brother or sister. You are girding up the loins of your mind. You pray together and you get up ready for action. Oh, God wants us in the battle. He wants us in the action, not on the sidelines. And that is where this world wants to put us. This world wants to put each one of you in a place where you are a victim. They've got a, a, a label for everything today. Everybody just wants to be labeled so they can just say, there's nothing I can do about it, and I guess I'm out of the ball game. I have this problem, I have that problem. And No, God says, I see your problems, and I've just given you my grace till Jesus comes. 
set your hope continually, fully in the grace of God. Don't just take some label and check out of the game. Gird up your mind for action. Be sober. Jesus is coming, and we're already on the victory side. Lord, I pray your help and strength will be made known to each one of us here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for 1 Peter chapter 1 that teaches us what we have in you and how we can keep our hope set in God. May we get back in the action. May we not sit on the sidelines, embrace some lie from the devil, but I pray, Lord, that you would equip us to be sober-minded, prepared for action, and that we would continually set our hope in the grace of God.